welcome to episode 149 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was how was your week, Shane? I'm pretty excited to hear about the uh, 50 FL if, if it arrived, and uh, and and if you were able to get a look through it. Yeah, yeah. So it did arrive, um, and I, you know. The, uh, the, the, strangely enough with the new purchase, the, the weather actually cooperated and there was not clouds. There was not smoke. We, we had, uh, some decent conditions last night actually to observe. So, um, uh, where to start? Um, so anyway, received the, uh, the Borg 50 FL and it was like, if you, if you do an internet search on that telescope, it comes with a few different pieces, like a, a helical focuser and then a couple tube sections, um, so it came with all of that. Um, it came with the, the ring to mount it. I just had to add a dovetail. And um, to my surprise, when I unscrewed some of the, uh, like the, like there's sort of a longer tube section and then a, a, a shorter tube section. When I took the shorter tube off, there was a, a stack of camera filters that were screwed into the tube. Um, which I didn't even know you could do, uh, which is kind of anecdotal to this, but, um, there's, a like a bunch of like sort of lens protector filters. Like there's a Nikon L one BC. There's a couple of one B skylights. Um, there's a weird, yeah, there's a, I don't even know what this one's for. This one is a AC close up number four. Um, I should probably just do an internet search to see what that even means. Cause I, I'm not a photographer. So the, uh, the photography filters that are available, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with them. I, from my basic understanding of what is in this stack, it really is just a bunch of things to, uh, you know, to protect the lens. Um, although like these, uh, these skylights are like apparently like a real soft magenta. So I'm not sure if they would have astronomical purposes or not. But um, it'd be good for looking at Mars or something with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, it's hard to detect the magenta. Like when I look through it, it doesn't really seem to change the color of anything, but um, you know, maybe with a, you know, with the astronomical object, uh, you know, maybe I would start to see something there. Um, Oh, you know what, actually I am lying this. (laughs) So I've got it in my hands and I honestly haven't played with these filters. Um, four of these filter rings don't have any glass in them. <laughs> the only thing that has glass is this close-up filter. Oh, oh, well, yeah. So they're using them as spacers then, right? Yeah. Because you yep. can do that. Well, that's, yeah. that's actually handy. That That's in fact handier than having, having the glass in them. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they can come in handy. Like I have, I might, I might be able to use one of those. Because I think one of my filter rings is broken on one of my two-inch filters. It, would they be the same size? They're probably larger, aren't they? Yeah, I think they're larger. They're 52 millimeter. And I think uh, two inch is 48. There goes. Yeah. there goes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, well. Yeah, but I guess I can use photography filters in the Borg. Who knew? I, you know, I didn't know that they, oh. that they had threads inside for that. So kind of interesting. Wow. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean. This, although it's it's a fifty millimeter telescope, I think I think this is the telescope. This is one of the most exciting telescopes I think that you've purchased. At least um, I think it's right up there with as as exciting as the seventy six um, Takahashi. But this is just such a. I think it's it's probably the 
best, most portable, most configurable telescope that uh, that you can buy. And they're not really expensive too, which just kind of adds to their uh, cachet in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's a 50 millimeter aperture, 400 millimeter focal length. So it's an F8. It's a little slower. So it's not going to provide the ultra wide fields that our mini Borgs provide, but it's a fluorite yes. lens. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess if I get that reducer thing, um, that, 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 that's yeah. well down the road if that ever happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, last night, uh, the conditions weren't too bad. Um, you know, like I was saying, it cleared up. Uh, we did have rain yesterday, but it cleared up. Um, transparency seemed pretty decent, although, you know, there was a lot of humidity here. Um, like the dew was just setting in like crazy. And um, mm. I, I took some uh, looks at Saturn as well as Jupiter with the little 50 mil. Um what I was running, let me just do the math here. Um, I was using a five millimeter eyepiece. So, you know, 400, what would that be about eight, 80 times? Yeah. 80 times magnification. And, um, Saturn was just beautiful, you know, very crisp, very clear, uh, you know, easily, uh, separated the rings from the, you know, the planetary disc, which on smaller apertures that can be sometimes challenging. Um, I wasn't able to get the Cassini division last night. I'm not sure if that is necessarily a limitation of the aperture. Um, conditions weren't perfect, you know, so I, I would like to see it maybe under just a, a bit better night um, to see if I could get the Cassini. Um, but it looked great. I was able to see a couple of the moons. I'd have to look at my planetarium software. Uh, I think Titan for sure and maybe Rhea, but I'm not 100% on that. And um that was pretty cool. I wasn't able to see any of the like cloud banding on Saturn, like the subtle differences in hues. Um, but it was a beautiful view. Uh, so then after that, I moved to Jupiter because at this point, Jupiter kind of reached its high point in the sky. And, uh, you know, the Galilean moons, of course, were no problem. But I was really, <laughs> I was really quite astonished with what I could see uh, on Jupiter with a little 50 millimeter telescope. It really, really shocked me. Um, you know, obviously the equatorial bands were no problem. Um, but they weren't like, I was able to see some of the definition there. Like, again, like that jaggedness, that unevenness that those cloud bands, uh, you know, show was apparent mm. in the 50 mil, um, the color variations, like, um, like the, the shading of it was, was also, you know, quite visible. Um, I was able to see both polar regions, uh, you know, it was a distinct, it was a distinct cut there, you know, like where the polar re region began and, you know, when it transitioned into the next, uh, temperate belt or whatever it is. Um, so in, in like unevenness within the, the polar regions, you know, it, it was kind of neat. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I know, I wasn't sure what I would see for planetary detail with a 50 millimeter telescope, but Holy smokes, like it can show you an awful lot. Yeah, well, you're not looking through as much, uh, like as much uh, atmosphere, right? So, I mean, you you have that advantage for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a great little performer, man. Th that little telescope is unbelievably light. Like you know, it it barely weighs anything, uh, which is sort of a trademark of the Borg telescopes. Is you know, not only are the optics of, of good quality, but it's, it's tough to find a lighter telescope than a Borg, uh, depending, I suppose on your configuration, but, 
but uh, they're they're very light and uh, balance was quite easy. Like I, I had no issues there. Um, the only thing that I'll have to play around with a little bit is um, I put on a, like it came with the helical focuser that you put on your mini Borg, Chris, and that I have on my mini Borg. It's the uh, 7860. You know, it's kind of a bigger focuser. It can handle like a two inch eyepiece or two inch diagonal. Um, but I have a smaller helical focuser um, by Borg and it's, uh, it, it, it mates with T2 components um, and it's smaller, it's just lighter. So I put that thing on and the travel is a little bit less. And I was having a few issues like my, uh, my panoptic, my 24 millimeter panoptic, I couldn't get to focus. Um, yeah. But any of my 0.965 stuff worked. So like my orthos, uh, my 40 millimeter Pentax Kellner, uh, that, uh, that worked. So, um, I'll have to play around a little bit with, um, uh, my configuration just to ensure that I can get focus with everything. Um, but once I get that kind of figured out, um, I think that this is going to be an amazing travel telescope. Um, and like, you know, the ultra kind of lightweight grab and go. You there, Chris? I'm there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I am very remote here, people. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine. I think we just had a gap there for a few seconds, and Shane and I have a small delay, so it probably seemed it probably seemed like an eternity for Shane that I that I had left him again. So all right. Well, that that's really exciting. Um, so what mount did you use? Um, I put it on my Burlabac Castor Two mount um, that little T mount that weighs a couple of pounds. Um, so I've been loving that mount as well. Like I've, I've been running that exclusively since I got it. Um, it's mostly carried my 76 millimeter tack, but, uh, I took the tack off, put the little 50 FL on last night and it was beautiful. Um, you know, hand track. So I was using the super monocentrics last night too, which means 30 degree field of view. And, you know, at 80 times there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a lot of sky that I was seeing, but manually yeah. tracking the planets uh, was no problem at all. No vibration. It was, it was really nice. Did you, and I have to ask, did you try the 31 Nagler on it? <laughs> no, no, I didn't last night. I, I really just had it set up for uh four inch and a quarter. Um, I'll, I'll try the two inch stuff at some point just to see how I can achieve focus. Um, the issues with using the two inch stuff, especially like the Nagler with such a small telescope is, is the balance issues. So, um, I'll, I guess I'd probably have to get my little counterweight balance system out and, and use that, but yeah, I'll give it a try at some point. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really exciting. Um, yeah, that was, that was a scope that I was, I was looking to get before I made, uh, another purchase and, uh, yeah, it's such, such a cool scope in my opinion. Like for me, I know you're, you're not really considering getting the focal reducer too much, but that was actually my plan is that, is that I would get this telescope and get the focal reducer and maybe sell my TAC uh, 60 to, to fund it all because uh, the, the whole purpose of the TAC 60 is to have uh, as wide a field in, in like a regular telescope configuration as, as I can get, as well as to have like a super portable instrument. And the 50 FL is more portable and with the focal reducer, you you get even uh, a significantly wider field than than the uh, seven and a half degrees I get with my TAC sixty. But yeah, I think you get like I think you get pretty much uh, ten uh, or nine point eight degrees or something. I, I get a couple more degrees out of 
out of the 50. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's not about having any any more aperture. It's this would be a decrease in aperture. But I just think that uh, that the the 50 fl just just must be phenomenal, considering how good the little 50s have been. But uh, but I, I'm keeping my little 50. I just love it. Uh, you know, rides on my um, my tack uh, 100 millimeter uh, beautifully. So so it's staying. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the little Borg mini fifties are, are amazing. And I think they're the ultimate, uh, like versatile telescope. Um, you know, you can use it as that ultra wide field. You can use it as a, like a finder scope, you know, mounted on the back of something else. Um, it's a, it's a fun little telescope. Um, the, the FL that I just got definitely means my Zeiss, uh, 50 millimeter by 540 uh, focal length that will be posted for sale here very soon. Um, yeah. and potentially, um, like I'm not, I'm not saying no to that reducer. I may end up getting that at some point. It's more just finding one, I guess. And then, de- you know, deciding if I want to spend the money on it, but, um, potentially my William optic 61 millimeter, uh, Zenith star. Um, you know, I bought that around the same time that you bought your 60 millimeter tack. Uh, and yeah. basically for the same reasons that you bought it, like I, I'd always wanted a 60 millimeter because they were, they, they are an excellent travel telescope. They're quite small. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to put a two inch eyepiece in. It comes with a two inch focuser and, uh, provides some really, really wide field views. And, and like the views through that William optic are amazing. Um, but it is, you know, like comparatively to the Borg, if you want to talk about like the ultimate travel telescope, um, like the William optics is not heavy, but compared to the Borg, it's a boat anchor, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's quite a few more pounds and, you know, that's not hard to, you know, travel with where we're adding that weight becomes a bit of an issue with travel is you just need beefier tripods and beefier mounts. So it's sort of like the domino effect. And if you can go with a super light telescope, then all of your other gear can be super light, which, you know, helps with weight restrictions and, and such when you're traveling. So, um, you know, the William optic may be another casualty here too, uh, as a result of this purchase, but that one I'll, I'll wait for a little while before I make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, I do love my, my tack, uh, 60. It is just like such a perfect, uh, grab and go and wide field instrument that, that really does show the planets, uh, beautifully as well. So, um, but yeah, that, that Borg 50, after I tried the, the mini Borg 50 Acromat, I thought, yeah, that really is the ultimate scope. And, but you know, it's F8. So for me, I was kind of like, well, it doesn't meet that ultra wide field requirement. But then as I, as I said, back in, in late spring, I, I discovered that you can, uh, you can modify it. Um, and considering that the cost of the components used, you can only really get them used now. It, they're not, it's not bad. It's definitely not as expensive as, as attack 60. And it, and it has, I, I don't know if you mentioned this in the last episode, but the, but the Borg 50 FL, I think is basically, uh, a redo of the TAC uh, 50C or something like that. Uh, FC 50, FC. I think it was. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a remake of a of a TAC classic, but in a more portable and more configurable um, setup. So, gee, I mean, that's, yeah. That, yeah. that's really hard to argue, argue against uh, affordable, used, um, portable, um, configurable to, to a few different, uh, configurations, planetary wide field and photography. So, um, yeah, that's, 
that's really awesome. If you ask me. Well, well, and also configurable to two inch, right? The, uh, the TAC exactly, FC 50, yeah. um, I don't even know, is it inch and a quarter? Yeah. The, I think yeah, it yeah, probably yeah. came out as yeah. 0.965, but you, you know, the tax stuff, you yeah. can adapt it up. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, so, I don't, I don't think you can mod the FC 50 for two inch. No, I, I think maybe you could or whatever, but you'd, you'd always be battling against the, uh, like the very strict uh, tube configuration. So you might have trouble reaching focus. Right. Right. Yeah. Even, yeah. even if you could get the, get the sizing, right. Like the, the focal range might not, uh, might not work well. Whereas with the boards, you can oh, need a different focal point, then no problem. Just get some old uh, uh, neutral density filter rings and take your filters out. Like you have, there you go, like a big stack of spacers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in its current F8 configuration, the 24 millimeter pen optic provides a four degree field of view, and the Nagler uh, 31 millimeter is about 6.4 degrees. So you know, even yeah. 6.4 degrees isn't that bad. You know, it's certainly not ultra wide field, but boy, you know, there's not many telescopes that will show a, a you know, a nice six degree field. Yeah. And if you get that focal reducer, it takes you down to 280 millimeter focal length. But the big but with this is, and, and you know, I guess the downside is the focal reducer even used is going to be <clears throat> into the into the hundreds of dollars Canadian. Um, but they are readily available. They're not as, as good as the newer focal reducers for imaging. So they're perfect for, for visual. So people do tend to sell them at, at a good discount. And then um, with that, you're, you're getting a, a true flat field versus with the mini Borg, which is 250 millimeter focal length in its native configuration. Um, you, uh, you know, you're going to have significant field curvature. But with but with this focal reducer um, on the 50FL, you're going to have a flat field and a flat field at 280 millimeter focal length um, is going to, I mean, that's going to wake the floor of, a, of, of the mini board uh, flat field capability. It, it's just going to be totally flat. Mm -hmm. um, so imagine having that almost same field of view as the mini board, but totally flat and with fluorite uh, lens elements. Um, <clears throat> basically that would just be like looking at, uh, like a wide field photograph of the night sky in, in real time. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. And, and it, and the cool part about this is like, even though you kind of have to futz and cobble together the parts, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's a good, uh, mix of sort of telescope building, understanding telescopes and, uh, and saving some money kind of all into one because, Again, like these are basically Takahashi quality instruments for, uh, you know, for, for not a whole lot of money, really. Like it's, you're going to, you would, you would spend what you would spend on getting a good new, um, just, you know, run of the mill uh, telescope, um, you know, what we're spending on these. So it's, it's a little bit of futzing around, but it's kind of fun. And then you're, you're getting something uh it gives you a unique uh, view, field of view and high power capabilities and small instruments. Very neat. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of lucked out too, like whoever the previous owner was, they, they really cared for this thing. Like it is in really, really nice condition. But in, in addition to that, um, every piece of the internal, I guess, tubing uh, has been like perfectly flocked, um, including like that little helical focuser. 
There's oh, like, wow. a, you know, there's like a one inch sort of, you know, length of tube in there, even that's flocked. So, you know, that, wow. that really tells me that whoever owned this was trying to get like peak performance out of this little telescope. Um, you know, when you, when you start covering off small details like that, you're, you're just, you're trying to, to make it as good as it possibly can. Well, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to keep using this little guy and uh, see what it can do, uh, especially under a dark sky. You know, I want to see what it does with, um, you know, some of the open clusters and, and brighter nebula. You know, I'm under no illusion. It is still 50 millimeters, but it's a fun, fun little telescope to play around with. Yeah, well, maybe think about Tuesday night um, coming out. I'm thinking I'm going to go home today and then come back on on tuesday it's supposed to be pretty warm and uh the day the day might be unstable but we'll just have to keep watching the sky if, if you're up for that that could be a good night um to take a run out here and and start using this uh as as like a regular kind of site i think there's even a, a couple beverages in the fridge so whoa <laughs> now you got my attention <laughs> <laughs> if it is if it is cloudy so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd cool. be good. For sure. And you, you got some new stuff uh, that you, I think you were able to use and a little observing last night as well. Yeah, I got the uh, Telegizmos 365 cover. It's not really, this. none of my stuff is very exciting at all. Um, <laughs> it's it's more practical, I guess, than, than buying yet another small telescope, which I'm not knocking at all because I really, really am excited to, to look through the board 50 FL. Um, but uh, one thing that has always kind of dogged me is, and it was great because last night was the first clear night that, or the first clear ish night that we were going to have since I got the Telegizmo cover. So the Telegizmo 365 cover is basically a barbecue cover for your telescope. I think that's probably the best way to describe it, isn't it? It's like canvas yeah. with a line interior. That that is perfect. And I never I never thought of that description, but that is a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> so if you're wondering what this thing is, it's it's a barbecue cover for your telescope, but it's designed for telescopes. It's got a sort of a whitish beige exterior, and it has uh, a silver lining that's supposed to be some sort of custom material. But it kind of looks like the stuff you put in your car windshield for hot days. But they're designed to cover telescopes apparently outside 365 days of the year. And some people do that, um, which isn't really my intent exactly. Um, but, but what my purpose for this uh, piece of equipment is that just like yesterday, we were having these rain showers that were coming through and at times um, torrential rain, like I actually wasn't going to observe. And then I was sitting around thinking, I think I, I do want to observe. So I took an extra run into the city and uh and picked up a carload of of my gear like tripods and chairs and and my like like way more equipment than i ever would ever would take observing with us if we were going to a dark site and then i got out here and my wife was like where are you putting all this stuff and i'm like i have an eight by 14 shed now that's going in that so started filling the shed up and threw a tripod up on the hill with my 100 millimeter tack and uh yeah, kind of starting to to get my stuff a little bit a little bit organized. But um, what I was able to do is set up the tripod and my mount, and I threw the cover. I'm like, there was because it was raining in places around here, and I took a photo 
I think I sent you the photo of the of the tripod with the mount mm-hmm. and the and the 365 cover, and you can actually see pretty heavy rainstorms are all around it. You, you can tweet that out if you want. If people people might be interested to see that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and so then what I did is once once these storms had had passed, I checked the radar, and uh, there was actually still some chance of of some of these showers, very light light showers. But there was uh, like a like probably a twenty or thirty percent chance that we would get one about halfway through my observing between a, you know around ten or or so and and eleven was going to be uh, we were going to have one of these come over us and so I was like well this is what I'm this is what I'm doing out here and so I put the telescope up and uh, my wife and I observed the planets at dusk we took a look at Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and then uh, and then it. it get dark and I came out and I observed, I looked at uh, M, what is it, M101 just above, anyway, the big galaxy is just above the handle of the Big Dipper. And I looked mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, the double cluster and Kemble's cast skate and NGC 1502 and um, looked at a bunch of uh, other open clusters and nebula down in, um, you know, the summer Milky Way. Like it wasn't like an amazing night, but it was still plenty dark and I knew I was working with maybe an hour of darkness before that moon comes up. Mm-hmm. So I looked at the lagoon and I looked at anyway, a bunch of different stuff. And then this cloud that, you know, was forecast um, started to, to encroach. And so I, all right, I'm going to throw the, this cover over my, you know, Takahashi telescope and hope for the best here. And so I threw that up and came inside for the hour that that was set to pass. And we never did get any rain, but if, if I had known that that cloud was coming in the past, I, I likely would never have set up mm-hmm. um, because where I'm setting up, probably I wouldn't be able to get the telescope in in time. I'm about 30 feet away from the, my storage shed and, you know, you can get pretty wet in, in the downpours that, that we were having yesterday if you had to carry something um, more than about four feet, you know. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and then uh, an hour later, it, it had moved off and the moon started rising. So I went up, I, I tore the cover off and, uh, and looked at uh, Saturn, Jupiter and the moon for the better part of an hour. And then, and then uh, you know, it was pretty late by that point. I think it was midnight or past midnight or whatever. Um, and so what I did is I just, uh, you know, just pulled it on and, and put an extra strap around it and, and uh, you know, walked in and went to bed and then get up this morning and you know, it was, everything was still there. I mean, it's, it's a pretty difficult spot for anybody ever to get to without, you know, basically just coming through my living room. So, you know, it's, it's a fairly, fairly secure spot there, but uh, yeah, I was pretty happy to, to actually be able to get a night in observing. Um, you know, I got three hours in, I think, or close to it. And uh, this, this basically would never have been um, a session that I ever would have driven anywhere for, but, uh, was able to get some really decent, uh, observing in, um, it was a lot of fun. Hmm. That's really good to hear. Um, you know, the convenience of being able to do it kind of in the backyard, uh, really helps a lot. And then, you know, like you mentioned, having the kind of the peace of mind or, or the insurance policy of that telegizmo cover in case the, the clouds did drop some moisture. Um, that's really good. You know, that's, um, uh, you know, I, I imagine that that will enable you to just get more and more observing it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's pretty exciting because, well, these covers, 
they're not that expensive. I, I had the receipt there. I think it was like $159. So we're not talking about this, this huge outlay of money. And it basically gets you almost halfway to having an observatory because, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you're able to, to set the gear up and then leave it out. Um, for example, there was, there was part of me that was debating, well, I could stay out here tonight and then just drive in, into work tomorrow because it, it's not that far from, to work from here. Um, but, uh, but I'm probably not gonna do that. But if I was gonna, I would just leave the telescope set up on the hill all day and, uh, and covered over just like it is now. And then, um, observe tonight and then, uh, get up early tomorrow, maybe take it down or, or leave it up for a couple days. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's no problem. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff that's around up here that, you know, that this is the last thing anybody's gonna, gonna walk where they have to, well, they have to, it would have to climb a cliff and it wouldn't be very easy to get to it. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to have that, that capability to, uh, to just have that sitting up there and, uh, and just be able to go and, and use it without, without having to do a full teardown and, and set up every, every time I want to go up, you know, in, in the future, maybe I'll get a little roll off or something, but, uh, you know, I kind of want to, want to test out the different spots here and, you know, it, I don't want to do anything uh, too quick. And there's, there's still a few modifications to, uh, to the building here that I want to make. Uh, one thing we had done is, um, put in some insulation. It wasn't really fully insulated. Um, so coming out here, if the temperature was cool at all, um, just wasn't going to be possible. So um, that's much better now. We have a, have another thing I need to do. So there's there's other things I want to do before I before I go that route. One other thing I tested it last night was the uh, Teleview three times Barlow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I didn't have it set properly because I. Um, for some reason and all the gear that I grabbed, I didn't grab an extra um, one and a quarter inch adapter. I only grabbed the one that's a, I use as a plug and a backup adapter and it has a big stop in it. And so it was sitting up really high in the adapter, you know, it only seats down about an inch. Um, and I think that was causing um, a challenge to the performance, but uh, I, I put the, I always wanted to do this. I wanted to get a three times Barlow so that I could Barlow my, uh, doctor 12 and a half millimeter. And, uh, and so that's what I did. So I did a lot of, uh, observing at, I think it was about, I was probably getting about pretty close to 200 power, which is about maximum power for hundred millimeter telescope. Mm-hmm. Um, and did, uh, some observing of, uh, Saturn and Jupiter, uh, for quite some time. And I was able to see, uh, some pretty significant banding on the planet of, uh, of Saturn on the disc. And then I was able to see uh, two or three different tonal uh, differences on the rings. I can't remember which is which, but one of the rings was more of a reddish color and one of the rings was much paler. And I could, I could see the Cassini division all the way around. The seeing conditions weren't very good at all. It was, things were kind of swimming a little bit, but you know, the, uh, the sky transparency was, was really good. And then, uh, over on Jupiter, um, I could really see quite a ton of detail, um, at that power. Typically I don't run that much power on Jupiter. Um, but I could see like barges in the equatorial zone, um, attached to, I can't remember the, the darker of the two bands had like these barges attached to it. I think you mentioned them, you were observing them with your 76, yeah, yeah, I think that's in the northern band because I think the northern band is a little darker right now. Yeah, I think you're right. 
And so, yeah, I could see these two barges like very, very clearly. And uh, the wealth of detail was phenomenal, especially, I think probably the best way to put it is that was the most detail I've seen on those two planets when seeing conditions haven't been very good. Like it was <laughs> kind of like, like, like swimming a bit, you know, like you could really see the atmosphere. Like we had these storms kind of skirting around and, um, you know, the, the, the sky was just unstable yesterday. And, and that did continue, even though the, the clouds went away at night, the, the air is, is just a bit wavy and you could see it even in the clouds. Like if some of them went away, you could see like how the air was cutting through the clouds. And I think the same kind of air pattern held up during uh, the night as well, unfortunately, but it, it did clear off. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was a really neat combination to run um, that Teleview three times Barlow and the, and the 12 and a half millimeter um, uh, doctor. Cause it's very easy. That's a very easy eyepiece to look through, but I'm hoping it was just the fact that I had it sitting out too far. Cause I was getting like, there was every once in a while I would get like uh, almost like, I don't know if it's an internal reflection or what. I, I think it really was just like an internal reflection. And I think it might've been from the fact that that Barlow needs to sit pretty far into your uh, focus. And, uh, and I did, and I had it sitting way, way up and out and it probably wasn't centered at all. So uh, I'm thinking that, uh, yeah, I was getting this bad internal reflection because, because of that. So uh, kind of fingers crossed. I've never been a huge fan of Barlow's, um, but when it wasn't giving me the reflection, it was only like one spot. And, uh, and if it wasn't giving me the reflection, then everything, everything was fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty decent night considering, um, this weekend looked like it was originally supposed to be a washout. We weren't mm-hmm. supposed to be observing in at all. It was forecast to be solid rain all day yesterday, but there was some rain showers around, but it wasn't a bad day. And then last night was, you know, it was okay. We had hour of darkness and, uh, yeah, not too bad, not too shabby considering. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, like you said, the original forecast wasn't looking good, but, um, as we got closer and closer to Saturday, it looked like, you know, there was a little bit of potential and it came through, which was really nice. Um, one thing I want to mention before I forget, cause I wanted to make or mention this last week when we recorded, um, you know, we're talking a lot about observing Saturn and Jupiter right now, and there's two podcasts, uh, well, one podcast, two episodes that people should uh, listen to if they're observing Jupiter and Saturn, uh, go to the observers, Note uh, observers notebook podcast. It's, uh, put out by the, uh, association of lunar and planetary observers. Um, the last two, uh, episodes that they've released are all about observing Jupiter and all about Saturn and, uh, they're awesome. And, um, the, uh, the interesting thing about the Jupiter one that really stands out for me is, um, they're very interested in, uh, people's observations, but of the changing brightness of surface features on Jupiter. Um, now typically, you know, photographers or, or that type of equipment is needed, but visual astronomers can still make some contributions, uh, to, I guess the research that's taking place with that. Um, and it was, uh, it was a good listen. Yeah. I think each episode is about 30 minutes and, uh, I highly recommend it if anybody's observing, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, this year. Yeah, I, I had been listening to it. Um, and then when, when I started, uh, doing some other stuff this summer, I think that I, I reduced my podcast listening. So I'm going to have to hop back in and, uh, and catch up on those, on those episodes. That sounds really cool. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, uh, I really enjoyed them. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, speaking of uh, time and podcasts, uh, I, I pretty much said my bit for today. I, I don't know if you, you have anything else to add, Shane. Um, no, no, that's everything. I'm hoping that we can keep observing that we're kind of out of the smoke and out of the rain and, and, uh, you know, have some good weather ahead, hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, thanks for joining me today. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>